unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, our mandate is in the Gospel of St. Luke, the 11th chapter. Why? Because there's a wonderful story there that I want to show us concerning understanding this thing we call answered prayer okay answered prayer because that's the one question that doesn't leave the table of counseling sessions for pastors I have prayed about this for so many years or I've believed God for this for so many years I have failed to get answers in this area I'm praying and I cannot get through in this area what's wrong what's happening why can't I get that job I prayed for jobs for 10 years why can't I get married? I've been praying for my marital destiny for 15 years. Why can't I get a child? Why can't I get this? Why can't I get that? Why aren't I getting this? Pastor, what's wrong? I think I need another man of God. And then they go to another church and then they pray for them and then they work and then they go to another one and then they pray for them and there's no fruit. And then they go through. One time I met a lady and she said, I've been to many pastors. Till someone told me, let me try you also. Hey. I told her we are in trials, eh? You know, like those guys who do medicine, they tell you, we've discovered the cure of so-and-so and it's in trial stage. Eh? That means there's a possibility of me failing and then I also get on the list. You know, there are those people who speak those strong names eh? of men whom they went to and they didn't get answers. And those men also, if you study them, they prayed for people with the same issues and those people got answers. But I always ask those people, who was the common denominator? Eh? You went to all these pastors, but who was the common denominator? Who was the one consistent thing with all these pastors? You. And you know, the pastors become a common denominator. Mm -mm, no. You see? So want to understand the place of answer? Prayer. And this is the truth that many of God's children do not know his heart. They do not understand his person. And so in relating with him, in that indifference, we find that we cannot receive what we have asked for like we should receive it. So when Jesus is speaking in Luke to his disciples, when you begin, you know, a bit up there from about uh, the first verse, one of his disciples come to him and tells him, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray so that we can have answers like you do. And then Jesus tells them, when you pray, say, and then he recites the prayer. Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, which you all know. Some of you call it the Lord's Prayer. And then after that prayer, of course, now he wants to help them understand why they receive answers through prayer. 
So the conversation that I'm going to teach here is a conversation Jesus has with his disciples after teaching them what or how to pray. Now he goes in to answer the question of how then do I as God answer what you have prayed for? Immediately after that prayer, we go to the fifth verse. After that prayer, he says to them, which of you, now he has finished telling them, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then the prayer ends. Immediately, he asks them a question. Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey and is coming to me and I have nothing set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not, the door is now shut and my children are with me in the bed. I cannot rise and give thee. Now to make it, for those of you who studied in the 90s, to understand the English here, Jesus is asking them, who of you, who has a friend? And this friend comes to you at night and knocks on your door and says, brother or sister, I need help. I have a visitor coming and it is late. I've checked in my house. There's none to eat. Can you help me? Get me some bread. And then Jesus is asking you, who of you would say to that person, do not trouble me. Don't disturb me. I'm sleeping. My children are in bed and I'm also in bed. Why are you knocking on my door late? A friend cannot speak to a friend like that, isn't it? You will want to see if you have some bread and give it. And so the next verse says, I say unto you, even though he will not rise to give him because he is his friend. In other words, even if he will not get up only because he is his friend, yet because of importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Importunity, the word there, importunity means shame. Because of shame, he will rise up and give him all that he needs. Even if he will not get up as a friend, at least, Jesus is saying, out of shame he will do it. Because you see, the certain things that you are able to do out of due responsibility. Because they are shameful not to do, even if somebody is not your friend. You see? Of course, we are living in a generation that has become so indifferent and strange to proper that it is possible. You see, for example, if you're walking somewhere and somebody meets you and says, how are you? Even if they're not your friend, common decency, what do you do? You say, fine. Because it's shameful and disrespectful and out of order and line for somebody to extend a greeting to you and then you don't answer back. You see what I'm saying? Or you answer back rudely. I know Christians like that. They don't like this person and then the person tells you, how are you? And then they look away like this and then they walk away. You see? But also, we're living in a communities that are communal on social media. Society has become media. All right? It's internet, it's Facebook, it's uh, WhatsApp, it's Twitter, it's Instagram, it's Snapchat, whatever chat, WeChat, every chat. Back in the day, in our olden years, okay, communities were relatable. People used to relate. You know, you entered somebody's home and then you drank water and then you entered in another. For us, our generation, even the neighbor would cane you. You see, and the older generations. I was talking to somebody and they told me, oh, you know, that's my neighbor, but I've never seen them for 20 years. But they are their immediate neighbor on the fence next. And it is true. 
Because even I, where I lived, there's this neighbor I saw twice a year. Yet the guy comes in. By the time he comes in, I'm not in, and by the time I come in, he's not in. And uh, this society is not a society that is easily, you know, relatable. You don't just wake up and say, hey, what's up? Let's catch up. Hey. You knock and the guy has a door and he asks you, huh? What do you want? You try to, you know, buy these friends and, and buy, them, buy them through, you know, extending invitations. You buy them, you, you send them cake, nothing. Ha, ah, thank you. They lock the door. <laughs> You're welcome to our neighborhood. Thank you. Very good cake. They never talk to you again. Do you understand? But that's the community where we are. That's the world we've become. So everything now is social. It's a dangerous one because I think you've read in some developed nations like Europe, people are dying in their beds and they spend four or five days without being seen. And then they discover that this body is written because that's what society has become. So these younger children might never understand what it means to relate. And so that shame that comes with the responsibility of how to deal with your neighbor, that is rubbing out of society every day. So when you read this kind of portion of scripture, many younger folk don't understand it. Why would you come at my home for bread? Really, why didn't you plan? What's so simple by telling you that I don't have? Because back in those days, they were deeply built in common courtesy. Culture was responsible. If this guy you don't feed, you know what will happen? He'll go and tell others and tell him, you know, that man is mm -mm, not the right person. I lacked bread once and we had a visit and he could not help me. And eventually, the society will start to look at you as a wrong fellow. So Jesus is telling them, if this person is your friend and they come to you and they ask for bread because they're having a visitor someday coming up, you get up and give them bread as your friend. But even if they are not your friend, at least you're going to give them bread because it is your responsibility to do what is right when you must do it, especially for your neighbor. You see? And then so that is the conversation he's trying to have with his fellows. But he's trying to teach something deep. And let me continue, please allow me. And then he says, in verses 9, and I say unto you that are praying, ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Ask, seek, knock. And he continues to tell them, for everyone that asketh, he shall receive. And everyone that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be what? Opened. He says, if a son shall ask bread of you, that is a father, will you give him a stone? Or if he ask for fish, will you give him a serpent? Or if he ask for an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? If you then being evil, he says, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit when you ask of him? Are you following what I'm saying? Are we together here? Now listen very intently. Jesus is trying to give a juxtaposition between the relationship you as a parent would share with your child and the relationship that he, God, shares with you as his child. Years ago, I was concerned about something and I wanted it so bad and it kept on my heart and mind for a long time. Even when I went into prayer, 
it was that one thing that kept lingering. It just could not leave because I wanted to receive it, to have it. I mean, I prayed, prayed. But one of those days, I chose to speak boldly with God about it. And when I did, I said, Father, why haven't I seen this thing? Why haven't I seen the manifestation of these things? I know that I've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. I know that I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing that held places in Christ Jesus. Why haven't I seen this? And the Lord told me, you have actually never asked for it. And when I went through my journey to think through, I honestly had never asked for it. And there are many people in this room who have never really asked. This thing that you're asking God for, have you really asked? Have you really, really asked? And there are two things here in understanding what it means to ask. Because you see, once in James, he says that you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you might consume it on your own lusts. That's one reason why some people don't receive, because you're asking for self-abasement. You see? To please yourself. But you're not asking for the bigger picture of purpose. That's one way of not receiving what you're asking for. But then there's another way also. One, that some people simply do not ask. And much as this thing is disturbing you, you've actually never spoken to God about it. Or, where the majority are, we beg instead of asking. What do you mean, Pastor? We are a generation that has not really understood the ways of God. And I have already said this, that it's in the perfection of the human heart, in its yieldedness to God totally, for Him to reveal His ways to a man. When you fully give your heart to Christ, when you fully yield your heart to God, He will start to reveal to you His ways. And the parts of you that are not yielded or given to God are the very parts that carry spots of blindness. And those are the parts in which many a time we develop our own ways and then consecrate them on the altars of justification. And then we start functioning in those ways and even though we have chosen those ways and they might seem right and proper they're still not aligned on the foundation of truth and therefore they do not work why because wherever god has not consumed in your heart there is your idol and when your idol speaks it draws its own ways and not god's so you find in this world that there are many human beings who have built ways around which they should receive from God or should receive whatever they require, whether it comes from God or not, some don't care, or some even assume it should come from God, even when they choose the wrong way. And if you don't understand the difference, maybe you're not the one I'm talking about. But I'll give you a simple example. Let me give you a very, very simple example. God has given you a principle of how to build wealth. There are many ways to build it. You can actually sit in a government office and somebody can pass a project X illegally and that project can come through and then out of that a few billions are siphoned and then because you are part of the team, even though you did not take part of that transaction, 
somehow everybody is due for a cut and that cut comes in the time when you had asked for money and then you're like this is God besides you didn't look for the money it looked for you if it wasn't the will of God why would it come to you and then they give you that money and then you go buy yourself a car and then you buy yourself a house and then you do all these kinds of things then you come in church and to appease your guilt you even sow a big seed in partnership you see what i'm saying that has given you wealth but it's not the way of god and the reason why you could take that money was because there's a part that in your heart that has not been given to god and you'd find that you justify a way which you know is wrong because in there is some idol that you have not dealt with and because he's a gentle spirit he will not impose on you what you do not want to do he will let you be are you following what i'm saying the bible says that their glory is in their shame in other words whatever is glory to god actually has a certain line of shame behind there that's receiving things the wrong way that's just one example but think of marriage and see how many things especially women do for marriage how many compromises you're giving glory to god for as you got desperate you find yourself compromising even in places you're not supposed to compromise and settling for what you're not supposed to settle for because you are compromised in your spirit and then you say ha what the lord has done for me i cannot tell it all you even weep a bit but when you check in your heart <laughs> that shortcut was not the way of god maybe you're not patient to know the way of god or you don't even know how to access the way of god and god says give me your heart are you following me child of god give me your heart i will show you how to do it right because when it comes right it's preserved when it comes wrong you will struggle with it somebody shout hallelujah shout glory to god so this second bunch that i was talking about the doctrines that we have been taught and wrongly because again the hearts were not fully yielded to god and so in some of those spaces were idols that then built doctrines around us and again we were your ministers and so we taught again in that indifference and we taught it as we had our bishops teach them our pastors teach them our men of god teach them and they became part of a tradition in church and almost believed as true because everybody preaches them are you following what i'm saying that if you get into african culture right now african culture those of you who are baganda banyangode batoro when you say that you're going to church to pray huh how do you say it in your language what does kusaba mean beg i'm going to church to beg you understand because that's what you used to do with your local traditional gods you remember in your african traditions when you used to go to those small shrines what are they called masabo jebasaba oh did you get it sorry if you don't understand this language the shrines where people go to which doctors uh, for is a place of begging hey, jaja i want a 
please give me a please give me a they go to beg. They go with something to give and then they beg for something. And so from there, you become Christian, you become born again, you still go to Esabedara. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? But why? Because Jesus is not a revelation to you. Only beggars and poor men, only beggars, and I want you to write this, and poor men have no inheritance. Sons and daughters have an inheritance. Beggars have no inheritance. Are you following? To go to God to beg, it means that you have not recognized that you have an inheritance with God. When you have an inheritance with God, you cannot go to beg because you have an inheritance. Are you following what I'm saying? The Bible says that we have an inheritance. It's called the inheritance of the saints in light. The inheritance of the saints in light. Everybody who is born again, who is a believer, has an inheritance. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. All of us, the moment you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you carry an inheritance with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Bible says that we've been begotten into an inheritance that cannot fade away. It cannot dissolve. It cannot disappear. It is steadily held forever for you. You are a child of inheritance. First Peter 1.4 To an inheritance incorruptible. It's undefiled. It's fadeth not away. You are a child of inheritance. See? And then your pastor has opened the scriptures and they say that he is the God who lifts the poor and the beggar from the dunghill and then he puts them on what? In places to sit with the princes that they might what? That they might have an inheritance of the throne of glory. Read the scriptures. It says he raises the poor out of the dust and lifts up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. In other words, those poor and those beggarly people do not have an inheritance. He raises them up from the dust to give them an inheritance. Now you which has an inheritance are not among those ones. Slap somebody. You're not among those ones. That's not a prayer you should use when you're a new creature. That's a prayer you should pray over a person who is not born again. But if a person is born again, when they talk about the princess, you are the princess. When they talk about kings, you are actually the kings that you are the one seated and then these poor folk, these men, these beggarly folk that carry no inheritance, they are the ones who come now to sit with you. In this story, you're the prince. Oh! Did you get what I just said? In this story, you're not the beggar. You're the prince. So when you get somewhere and you find a pastor saying, God raises the poor, Makobadago, Zikayagayagaya, and then the beggarly, and then he places them on tables to eat with princes. Don't think in your head that you're the beggar. Even though you lack in your pocket financially, physically, it doesn't mean that you carry no inheritance by God. Because every poor person and beggar there was supposed to be set among princes that they might have an inheritance. But for us, we have an inheritance. Somebody shout hallelujah. No man with an inheritance begs. Because the God that you have believed is a God of covenant. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's a God of covenant. He, like I've always said, 
has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's an inheritance. There is nothing you need physically or otherwise that is not already available for you through the inheritance that God has given you by the work of Christ at the cross. Now to ask right is to go to God asking that what you are asking for is actually available and it's available for you. You understand? That's the right attitude. That's the right ideal that you're supposed to be carrying when you're going to pray. You know, it's one thing for somebody to say, oh, you know, but if God wants, he can heal because he has the power to heal. That's faith. But to say that he has the power to heal and healing is available for me, that's trust. That is trust. And many of you are like the other man whom Jesus asks, do you want to be made well? And the man said, if you want, if you will, if you want. Many of you are in Matthew 8. Do you want to be made whole? The man says to Jesus, if you want, you can make me clean. That means the man knows that Jesus can actually what? Heal. But he's asking, can you make me whole? I know you can heal, but can you heal me? Can you look at me also and give me the healing that you've been giving others? Let's get to a point of trusting God enough to know that not only is it available, but it's also available for you. Healing is available for me. Divine health is available for me. Increase and multiplication is available for me. Favor is available for me. Peace is available for me. Breakthrough is available for me. Joy is available for me. Marriage is available for me. Everything, favor is available for me. Make it personal. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is why he uses that example and says, if you who are evil, if you who are evil can give good gifts. I gave people an example and I said that my father is among the most wonderful men I've ever met. And not because I'm saying it like everyone would say for their father. Because even when we were young and sick, when you're in hospital, he would tell my mom, you know what, go and rest. I'm going to sit with this person on the bed the whole night. Even when we were sick, when we were young, my father was the man or he's the man who would come at night at 3 or 2 a.m. or 4 a.m. and touch your head to make sure that the temperature is still under. You know, control, it's normal. He did that every time we were sickly. My father's never missed a VD. My father's never missed any parent meeting. He was there, you see? He was there. So I cannot look at my father and need something and worry that he will not give it to me. My father would give me what I would want if he knows that I need it because he loves me. He loves us as his children. You see what I'm saying? But we have many people here who would trust their friend to do for them what they cannot trust God to do for them. You know God wrongly. And that's why you don't receive. Because you do not know why he calls you his children. God loves us so much. That is why he gave the example and he says, if you people who are earthly, evil, know how to give good gifts. If your child asks for bread, you cannot give them a stone. They ask for fish, you cannot give them a what? A serpent. If they ask for an egg, you cannot give them one. So he says, if you can give your children good things, 
how much more shall your heavenly father give to you when you ask trust god trust god trust god go in prayer with that same attitude that i'm actually going for healing but i know that it's available and it is mine it is for me you see so i ask you if you know that what you are going for in the presence of God is already available for you, how do you pray? You don't beg. Father, please, if you'll help me and just help me and please, if no, Father, I thank you. Because you are wounded for my transgressions. You are bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon you. By your stripes, I was and so that I know healing is mine. It's an inheritance. It's the children's bread. You cannot give me stone. I receive it for myself. I receive it for my body. I receive it for every part of my being. And what if you don't feel healed? It ain't changed the fact that it's available. And it's available for you. Somebody shout hallelujah. It's available for you. So what if it increases? You continue giving thanks. You don't change your position and conviction because it has not yet worked. Because people don't understand that the devil lives to trick you. The Bible says, put on the armor of God. Stand ye therefore that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Those wiles, the word wiles there is called tricks. Do you remember those days when we used to do tug of war? You remember tug of war? Eh? Now, we got a trick when we were boys. You stand on one side and your other team stands on the other side. And then you start pulling. Then you agree that when we count, one, two, three, we release a bit the rope and they all fall. And then after that, you what? How many of you did it? So they stand in one way. Then you guys count, one, two, three. Then you release. And then they all what? Fall. They have not fallen out of your strength. You have actually used their willpower to fall. You've used their power and will that is pulling to fall. So when they fall, they have not fallen because you're powerful, they've fallen because you are smarter. And then immediately when you do that, two, three of them, they fall, then you what? <laughs> then you pull, and then you win, okay? And then the other team discovers that that's what you do. Or oh, one day, you're on the rope with a guy who was on your side, so he also knows. Then he says, the last time I was on that side, they also counted, so they also agreed to count. You understand what I'm saying? So, as you're counting, one, two, three, they know. <laughs> then you, as they release, they also what? <laughs> so it was a smart game. Tug of war is not just a game of strength. It's also a game of what? Here. So the devil is cunning, he's crafty. That's why Paul says, I fear, at least by any means, as a serpent deceived Eve through his subtlety, you will be corrupted from the simplicity which is in Christ. That somebody can preach you out of what's supposed to come simple. Your job was supposed to come simple. And then somebody builds a doctrine of, do you know how many demons you have to break to get a job? And they sound right. Because people don't know the difference between semantics and revelation. They do not know the difference between divine insight and vocabulary and good grammar. Because somebody knows how to construct sentences. I break and I pull down those discombobulated 
anointing principalities. Then you're like, oh my God, this guy knows how to pray. No, he doesn't. You bring a lame man and then he discombobulates them. You bring a crippled man and you see whether he will discombobulate the bone. Are you following what I'm saying? It's not about vocabulary. It's about power. Do you realize when Jesus was healing, he had no vocabulary? Talitha Kumai. That wasn't vocabulary. Receive your sight. There is no vocabulary there. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Be healed. There is no vocabulary. Your faith has made him whole. There is no vocabulary there. It's power. Complete sheer power. Crude. Nothing mixed. Somebody shout hallelujah. And we're in a generation that cannot tell the difference. They cannot tell the difference between expedient and lawful. They cannot tell the difference between what is really generically acceptable and what really is most important in having an understanding. That's the generation we're in. I gave a story of a guy who was preaching the gospel once and uh, he was screaming, Jesus is Lord, what, what? But he was dressed poorly. Dirty clothes, dirty shirt, dirty everything. So this woman walked to him and said, but eh, the way you're speaking eh, and the way you look, it's as if the Jesus you are talking about didn't die. You understand? Eh? Of course it is sad because a man doesn't need to dress right to give you life. But also you must understand that by the world, some wisdom requires that we look like what we are preaching. And it is the will of God that we look like what we are preaching. You know those people who go for empowerment conferences, financial literacy, but the Kagai teaching you about financial... <laughs> His clothes are dirty. Everything is out of line. And he's teaching you how to make what? How does that happen? Somebody say, Father, in the name of Jesus, may I look like what I teach. May I have the results of what I teach. Can you take just one minute and speak in tongues? I feel somebody needs to connect to this. May we look like what we teach. In Jesus' name, amen. We must look like what we teach. We must look like what we teach. I gave a story of this guy. Some of you know of a guy called Steve Harvey. This guy, he's Christian, he's born again, and then he does programs, Family Feud, and what on TV. So I think one day he was hired by a media company, was it called NBC? And then he's in his office, and then they send a woman to him, and he asks her, who is you? You know, they speak that broken American English. They ask her, who's you? And the woman says, I'm your grammar teacher. NBC hired me to make sure that you speak good grammar because if you don't learn to communicate, you'll never be successful. Then Steve looks at her and asks her, how much do you have? How much money do you have? He's trying to tell her that you have come to teach me. I am actually richer than you who speaks grammar. 
and yet you think that you've come to what? To teach me. And then he asked her, which of these sounds right? I am poor or I'm his rich? <laughs> Who has understood the joke? Which of those sounds right? I am poor or I'm his rich? Which of those sounds in your ears, which of them sounds right? Tell me which sounds right. I'm his rich. I'm his rich. And I would go that way. I would rather lose vocabulary than have money. <laughs> you keep your vocabulary. Because vocabulary doesn't pay bills. Vocabulary can't marry you a wife. Vocabulary is not max. We had students who had very good vocabulary, but when they come back, they have 20%. We used to have a boy in school. His name was Ziwa. Ziwa never spoke English. But he used to excel in written English. In written English, he was among the best. But the first time I ever had him speak English, a teacher was going to cane him for not tucking in. He said, forgive me, master. <laughs> forgive me, master. That was the only time I heard Ziwa speak English. Forgive me, master. He said, Ziwa, you speak English? But in written, he was amazing. He would get 80 and 90s. So, which sounds right? <laughs> Masita, forgive me, Masita. With 90%, oh, I'm sorry, teacher. But with 20%, which sounds right? Ask your neighbor, which sounds right? <laughs> the wisdom to know the difference. Somebody shout hallelujah. So Jesus here is saying that get to that point where you come to him with thanksgiving. The Bible says with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. He did not say request and then thank. He said with thanksgiving, make your request known unto God. If you know that an inheritance is available for you, you just thank. Never ever go to God and say, give me a car, give me a house, give me a wife, give me a job. Don't ever ask that again. That's begging. Don't beg. To ask his father, I thank you for my, I thank you for my house. I thank you for my marriage. I thank you for my health. I thank you for my peace. I thank you for my victory. I thank you for my ministry. I thank you because we're progressing. I thank you, oh God, because it is working in my life. I thank you for the anointing that is moving in my body. I thank you for the power that raised you from the dead. It's now working in my business. It's working in my career. If you pray that prayer like that every day of your life, your mind will get to a point where it agrees. With thanksgiving, with the attitude of thanksgiving, make your requests known. Go as one knowing that whoever asketh, they shall receive. Whoever seeketh, they shall find. Whoever knocks the door, it shall be opened unto them. Go with that attitude to God. Go with that attitude to God. Go with that attitude to God. Never beg again. You're not a beggar. Every time you beg, you offend the spirit of truth. And to go down in that last portion of scripture, he tells us, 
that how much more will he not give you the spirit if you ask? Here he spoke of the spirit, not the job, not the car, not the house. He spoke of the spirit. And there's a reason why he spoke about the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 to verses 13, he says, as it is written, uh-huh, I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But he has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. That the person of the Holy Spirit is the revelation of all that God has prepared for us who love him. Read that in the Amplified Version. He says that, but on the contrary, the scripture says, what eye has not read, uh -huh, and ear has not, and has not entered into the heart of what? Man. All that God has prepared, made, and keeps ready. You're asking for a husband. He's ready. You just don't know how to ask. He's waiting. You're asking for a job. It's waiting. It's ready for you. You're asking for promotion. It's waiting. It's ready for you. You're asking for progress. It's waiting and it's ready for you. You're asking for increase and multiplication. It's waiting and it's ready for you. But you can only connect to that by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. That is why he says, first ask for the Spirit. And when you ask for the Spirit, I will give you. If you seek for the Spirit, I will give you. If you knock on the door of the Holy Spirit, truly he will come. And when he comes, he will reveal all God has prepared and keeps ready for you. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him. Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, not next week, now, not next year, now, not when we pray, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given unto us of God. So the Holy Spirit does not only reveal to you what's ready and prepared, He also shows you that it is free. He shows you that it is free. You don't need to pay anything for it. You don't need to pay anything for it. You don't need to pay anything for it. So how do you pray when you're freely given? You thank. You're not even asking to be given. You're praying because you're freely given. So that portion of scripture actually should not be applied in things. It should be applied in the person of the Holy Spirit who then reveals to us all that has been prepared and made ready and that it is freely for us. And Paul says in the next line, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. The true translation is comparing spiritual things with spiritual people. That is the wisdom with which we teach. Because if you go to the wisdom of the world, you don't have, so you're begging. When you come to the wisdom of God, it is not only available and ready for you, it is free. Wow! 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 
Enter prayer like that. I tell people you will be in charge. You will be in charge of your body, your life, your ministry, your You will be in charge. You will be in charge. You will never feel out of charge. You will be in charge. For me, one day when the Lord started to show me this thing, one day it came as a full revelation. From then on, I don't beg God to heal the sick. I don't. No. I remember Jesus himself telling me from today, now that you've learned this, only declare it and I will do it. So when you come to me for prayer, sometimes you might find that I might not. Rokogo, mukama yesu, vayojori, chusa, wo, no. I'll just say, go and receive it. I'll just say it is yours in the name of Jesus. You remember Thursday when I declared that some of you are going to get text messages, emails for opportunity. People were thinking for you. How many of you got something like that this week? Put up your hands. You see? And it happened. Now, when I was declaring it, the same person who has put up their hand was in the room receiving and for you were just... That's how God works through me. He told me, declare it and I'll do it. In fact, the power of God is mostly revealed on my life when I declare something. When I pray through so much for somebody, if they're sick or what, usually I don't get the answer. But when I declare and I say, you are healed, it comes with so much power to perform. The Bible says you shall decree a thing and it shall be established and the light shall shine upon your ways. Open your mouth like a praying person and pray. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, pray. Pray. There is power in the name of Jesus. Pray. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power. Pray. In the name of Jesus. Breaks every chain. 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 Help me quiet. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Come on, pray. Come on, pray with thanksgiving. Breaks every chain. Oh. Oh, breaks every chain. Oh, there's an Break every chain. 
Come on, let's sing it. There's an army. There's an army. There's an army. They break every chain. Oh. Come on. Things are breaking. Break every chain of disease, of weakness, of struggle. Break every chain of poverty. That beggar is spirit. Break every chain. You cannot be weak, you cannot be sick, you cannot be poor, you cannot be beggarly, you cannot be possessed, you cannot be controlled by the devil. You will not struggle, you don't struggle. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, give him a mighty hand of praise. Come on. Come on, clap for Jesus. It is well with you, with your life, with your family with your ministry, with your job, with your body, with your dreams, with your aspirations, with your projects, with your plans. It is well. They all come to pass. And I thank God. I thank God. If you are here and you have never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity right now to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus. I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.